I wanted to start off with a question here this morning, and that is, have you ever crossed a line that you don't feel like you could come back from? Have you ever passed that point of no return? For example, you're driving around and um, that green light turns to yellow, and, and like every warm-blooded American in the room, right, you step on the gas pedal and we go. We're headed, and all of a sudden we realize there was a little more space there than I thought, um, and it's nothing more at that point than a hope and a prayer that there's no traffic cameras, that there's no police officers, that no one's jumping the gun on the green light because we're going through. We have passed the point of no return. We've crossed the line. Maybe that's not it. Maybe you're better than I am at your driving. Maybe you're better at seeing that line before that line comes. Um, you're at Target and, and you're, you're crunched on time. You're busy. You're trying to, to just get in and get out and, and you see that person that you just, you love them, but you're gonna be in target for the rest of your life if you get stuck in that conversation, right? So it's a quick left down this aisle because there's no time like the present for some luggage for the whole family, right? Like, let's just stop. You avoid crossing that line that you know you're not gonna be able to come back from. I am not so great at that experience. So um, right around the corner, we have the Iowa State Fair coming up, okay? For some people, that's awesome. For some people, that's not so much. For me, the fair is I gotta get my lemonade from, of course, you have your stand that you have to go to. You've, I, for me, it's Cattleman's. I love Cattleman's beef quarters, grab a burger. And, uh, and my other favorite thing that I love about the fair is going into the buildings with air condition. That is really what the fair is all about for me. But one of those buildings is a catch. It has air conditioning and it's great, it's called the Varied Industries Building. And anybody who's ever wanted to sell a service or a good or a product in the state of Iowa is gonna be in the Varied Industries Building and they're looking for you. And so the way to navigate the Varied Industries Building is exactly this. You put your eyes down at the carpet and you keep walking. You don't look at anything else out here. You just keep your eyes down. You make it through all the zigzags. You go back to the back, grab your free popcorn, right? Get the cheese bread and get out. That is how we do the Varied Industries building. A couple years ago, though, I made a mistake. I looked up for a split second. That was the line right there. I crossed it, and I looked up, and what did I see? It was the DirecTV booth. Sorry if you work at DirecTV, but these guys are pros. You are sucked in. Soon as you make eye contact, you're done. They have this superpower where they take this big breath and they can talk for the next 15 minutes without taking a breath. And the only way you can get out of that is by being rude. And I hate that. It hurts my heart to do that. But this guy, he messed up. He took a breath. And so I jumped in and I said, my wife and I, we don't have a TV. Not really. Like we keep it in a room and we bring it out for family stuff. And he goes, he stops in his track. His script was broken. He, he didn't have a script for this. He goes, um, how is the furniture arranged in your living room? What do you look at? And before I could be like, oh, we look at each other, goodbye. Before I could even do that, he's right back trying to sell someone without a TV, direct TV. It, it's a whole thing. And so we cross that line. It's so easy for us to cross the line, for us to pass the point of no return. And it's so easy for us to also not be able to see a way to ever go back, to ever have that relationship uh, with, with whatever it was that was broken. And that's why the title of the series is Where Do We Go From Here? What do we do when we find ourselves back over here, the line being over there, and where do we go? How do we move forward? What is the next steps? And while some of these stories are fun, a lot of us, this is a heavy reality of some of those lines that we've crossed, right? Lines in our marriages, 
lines in our friend groups that we've crossed, broken relationships that come from that. Maybe we've hurt our kids, maybe we've hurt our friends, maybe we've been hurt by them. Um, Maybe it's something that you find yourself gripped by an addiction. Maybe you find yourself mad at God, and all of these can be lines that we have taken a step off, step past. Maybe it's not a step past the line, maybe we can't even see the line anymore. And we just don't know where to go from here. We find ourselves start to negotiate with God, right? Like, um, so like if my spouse loved me more or if my spouse respected me more, then I would do this. Or this time was the last time. Next time, I won't do that. Or if, if, if these bad things weren't happening, I wouldn't be so mad at God. I wouldn't have crossed those lines And so this is what I want to talk about this morning is where do we go from here? And I love the passage that we're going to be talking about because it talks about a guy who said he was never going to cross this line. This was the ultimatum that he wasn't going to cross, and he ended up crossing it. So we get to see how he reacted. We get to see how he responded, and we get to see Jesus who reaches out to bring him back across the line, to restore him back to the position that he was in. In that passage, we're gonna be in John chapter 21 today. And so I'm gonna talk about the whole passage a little bit, uh, and we're gonna highlight a few, a few things. But uh, yeah, so I wanna give you guys a little bit of context. So we're in John, not in Joshua, but a lot of these same principles do connect back to what Pastor Rick's been talking about in the book of Joshua. We get to see the consistency of God's character in both of these stories. And so the story starts out in in John chapter 21. It's happening just a few weeks after Jesus' death. And he's been resurrected, and now he's going around and he's visiting uh, different places, different people. He's actually seen this group of disciples and visited with them about two times uh, at this point. And So this is where Jesus is at, but then we also have the disciples. And the Bible leaves a lot of open space on what these disciples are going through. I'm more of a creative mind, so I like to think about where they were. I like to put myself into their human sandals, shoes, whatever, um, and, and be able to experience a little bit of Jesus from their point of view. And so I think about Jesus, I think about the disciples in that they had to have been in a time uh, of fear, on some level, like their friend who they were in close proximity to, who they had a relationship to, was just crucified. Were they gonna be the next ones to be crucified? I don't know, that, that, that'd be something I would be scared about. They were also in a time of, of maybe some of the brighter ones were, were starting to recall some of Jesus' teachings, starting to, to draw some of the, like, oh, he was talking about this and that, and like they're starting to maybe make a little bit of sense out of what was going on. Maybe some of them it was just, uh, there's too much going on right now over your head. That would probably be me in that moment. But at the same time too, there certainly had to be a time of celebration, right? Their friend was dead and now he's back. There is definite cause for celebration in that kind of a scenario. And whatever it was, they had to have been in this time of unknown, this time of what's next, this time of where do we go from here? What is our next step? And so as we, as we look into where he's going and what's next, we, we find that the disciples, they do the same thing that you and I tend to do when we're in a time of unknown. We tend to gravitate towards what's familiar. I, I say, I, well, I know this, so everything else can go away, but I, I at least know this. And that's where we find the disciples, is most of them were fishermen. And so 
if you gravitate towards what's next, you'd be near a sea, right? They're at the Sea of Galilee. They're on the beach. We don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they're talking about this new reality that they're having without Jesus or with Jesus, not knowing where Jesus, when, when they'll see Jesus, where he's going to be. They also have this time of, of trying to figure out what it is they're going to do. So here they are on the beach. They're talking, and Peter says, let's go fishing. And they said, yep, that's a great idea. We're all going to go ahead and jump in the boat and go fishing. So they do exactly that, and uh, they're out. There's seven of them. They're in the boat fishing, and they fish all night long, and they don't catch a thing. Not a single fish in the boat. And this isn't the point of my message really today, but I think it's a point worth making is, have you found yourself ever making plans without ever consulting God, without inviting him in, without having him guide your next steps? I know I have. I've headed down a path that seemed like a foolproof way, a foolproof method, whether it be in the business, whether it be in sports, whether it be in what school I'm going to. But at the end of the day, I sit there and I say, I, I never talked to you, God. I never consulted you on my plans. I never asked you to guide this next step. And so I wonder if maybe that's something where they're here, they're out on the boat, they're not catching a thing. They've been fishing all night. They're tired and exhausted when all of a sudden they end up seeing a figure on the beach, that figure being Jesus, right? And so he ends up calling out to them and he asked them, he says, have you guys caught anything tonight? How's the fishing been? And of course, it's been horrible. They have, they've been out all night. They haven't caught a single thing. And so one thing you'll know about all fishermen is they give, they love to give advice. And so he, he gives advice. Well, have you tried fishing on the other side of the boat? So they said, you know, sure, why not? They throw their nets out on the other side of the boat and the nets come in and they're totally full of fish, as full as they can possibly be with fish. And it's at this moment in this miracle that it made it super, super clear who this figure was on the beach, right? It was Jesus. And so he's performed this miracle. They're gonna see Jesus again. They're so excited. Now, Peter, being the guy that Peter is, he tends to just act first, think later. And so Peter leaves all his friends behind and jumps out of the boat into the water and runs to meet Jesus. And what he finds as he gets up to closer to seeing Jesus, um, we're gonna read about right here in scripture. We're gonna slow it down just a little bit as we read this passage. And it's uh, John chapter 21, verses nine and 10. And here's what it says. It says, they landed, when they landed, they saw the fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Jesus is cooking breakfast for them as they're coming up onto shore with the fish that they had caught. And one of the things, there's a lot of parallels here that we could probably run away with. There's a lot of like fish and bread and Jesus feeding people. There is Peter rushing to see Jesus rather than getting the work done, kind of like Mary and Martha. We could maybe go down that route. I want to go down this route here of talking about this phrase, the fire of burning coals um, or, or this charcoal fire that we're talking about. The Greek word that's used here in this spot is also used one other time in scripture, just a few chapters earlier, just a few weeks earlier in the timeline. And Peter finds himself standing next to this kind of a fire. It's a low flame fire, just some coals turning like that. Peter's standing by a fire like this, warming his hands when he crosses a line that he said he would never cross. When Peter says, I would never deny Jesus, I won't deny Jesus, and three times he denies Jesus while standing 
next to this fire. Now here we are a few weeks later, Jesus is cooking fish, cooking breakfast for them over this same kind of fire. This is, in my mind, this is a cinematic just masterpiece, right? If we picture this, they're out fishing and not having any luck. All of a sudden he realizes it's Jesus and you can see Peter, he's gathering up his robe because he is going to Jesus and he jumps into the water, he's swimming and I'm sure like once it gets into the shallow water, he's doing like the Baywatch run, right? There's like water splashing all over the place. He's coming to Jesus with no abandon. He gets onto the beach. He starts running faster. He smells the fish cooking. He's so excited to see Jesus until he gets just close enough to see over that last hill of sand, that little charcoal fire. And he sees Jesus warming his hands right next to it. And I can't help but wonder if Peter doesn't stop right in his tracks because he's overwhelmed with just a few weeks ago, a reality that he's been wrestling with, a reality that he might be have trying to forget since that moment, and yet here he is face to face with Jesus in this moment. And so I'm sure at this moment, this is when Peter says, I really don't think this is gonna be a normal breakfast, right? This is gonna be one of those Jesus things. And Jesus' intentions come very, very clearly into picture as he begins to develop this scene going on right here. And what happens next is Peter, or Jesus addresses Peter in the same way that Peter crossed the lines. See, Peter crossed the line three times saying, I don't know who Jesus is. I've never seen him. Who is this Jesus guy that you're talking about? And Jesus does the same thing when they get done eating breakfast. Jesus comes, Jesus addresses Peter and he says, Peter, he says, do you love me? Peter says, well, of course I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course. Then feed my sheep. He does this another time. And what Jesus is saying is, go back. you, You haven't messed up. I want to restore you back to me. I have a job for you to do that isn't fishing. It's continuing on the ministry that we were doing together, feeding the sheep, tending the flock, serving the people. And he says, I want you to continue on doing that. After they get done with this questioning, Jesus has a uh, little statement that he makes here. This is the next thing I wanna talk about. It's in John uh, chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. It says, very truly I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you don't wanna go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see a foreshadowing of my death. I'm generally a person that likes surprises anyways, but that's one I definitely don't want. Um, But this provides some hope for Peter. You see, he says this is a death that's gonna glorify God. Peter can find hope that his faith isn't gonna fail him to this degree again. Peter can begin to to find hope that he's not gonna be perfect. None of us are gonna be perfect, but he's gonna find hope that he's gonna serve Jesus through the end of his days, through the time that Jesus gives him here. And I can't help but sit in that same contrast that Peter sits in, this contrast where we're looking at a perfect savior and we're met face to face with the lines that we've crossed, with the things that we said we would never do. And Jesus is saying, do you love me? I don't know if I'm capable of loving you. You don't know what I've done. And Jesus is saying, do you love me? Then come, 
then follow me. And one of the things that I'm, I, I love about this is as I'm thinking about this in light of what Pastor Rick's been talking about in the book of Joshua is God's character is completely consistent. We see the, the people of Israel, they end up crossing lines that they're not going to ever come back from. And God says, no, I can restore the people. And through Joshua, God restores the people to be able to follow him again, to be able to move toward, um, to be able to move toward going across the Jordan River, going into Jericho that we're gonna hear about next week. He has so many things, so many good plans in store for them, and he is able to restore them through Joshua, even though they made these mistakes back here. The other cool thing we see is what Pastor Rick started this series on, which actually was Joshua's last words, or some of his final words, was this invite to follow me. See, Joshua gets to the end of his life, like Pastor Rick was telling us. He gets to the end of his life, and he's recounting all of the places where God has been, the things that he's allowed them to do, the places that he's shown up where he's gone before them, and he says, you guys choose who you will, but I'm inviting you to choose to serve him serve God. Follow me is what he's saying. He says, my family, we, we are going to serve the Lord. And so I love seeing that consistency between God and Jesus, seeing him in flesh and seeing it in the Old Testament too, in the way that these two stories uh, are, are compatible with each other and, and just seeing that. So the next thing we run into though is Peter does Peter things, and <laughs> nothing is ever black and white with Peter. It's never go and do, and Peter says, all right, we're good to go. It's always something with him, and that's why I love him, because it's, that's usually me, too, and so Peter says, well, what about John? What about John's death? Is, is John going to live forever? Is John going to die like I did? Uh, John didn't screw up like me. Like, John didn't deny you. John didn't cross those lines, and in so many words, and probably so much grace and so much patience, Jesus says, Peter, you need to worry about Peter and follow me. John needs to worry about John and he needs to follow me. You see, what Jesus is getting at is, is I want to restore you to me. I want you to keep your eyes on me. You see, when we compare, we can always come out a little bit ahead or a little bit behind. As we look around, I can say, oh, well, I'm doing a little better than this group over here, so we're doing, we're doing all right. I'm doing a little worse. I'll never be able to do what this group over here is doing. But when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, all we can do is run to the restoration that he offers. All we can do is follow him and ask him to guide our paths, guide our next steps as we try to figure out where do we go from here. I really love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It talks about, kind of gives this picture of what it looks like when our eyes are fixed on him. And he also talks about this passage that we're talking about today. He says, they ate the bread and the fish that morning. I doubt not in silent self-humiliation. Peter looked with tears in his eyes at the fire of coals, remembering how he stood and warmed himself when he denied his master. Thomas stood there, wondering what wondering that he should have dared to ask for such proofs of a fact most clear. All of them felt as they could shrink into nothing in his divine presence since they had behaved so ill. Man, the gap between where we are and our Savior is so great. And yet he's offering us this invite saying, do you love me? I, I want to restore this relationship. I want you to follow me. And his restoration, it's so precise and it's so detailed. Obviously, Peter messed up more than three times in his life. But 
here in this account, we have these three times. Three times Peter messed up. Three times Peter crossed the line that he said he was never gonna cross. Three times Peter did something that he believed made him useless to God. But Brandon, but Brandon, you don't understand what I've done. Peter's way, way better than I am. Stop comparing. Jesus says, Peter believes that he messed up too much to be used by God. He believed that he disqualified himself from being used by God, but three times Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then follow me. And so we can find encouragement in that because we have these things that we want to have define us, that we want to, we've crossed this line and this line is now who I am. It defines what I do. I'm defined by that addiction. I'm defined by these broken relationships around me. Jesus says, no, that's not how you're defined. You're not defined by a person who's angry at God. You're not defined by what's been done to you. Paul gives us an passage in Ephesians that tells us exactly how we are defined. Ephesians chapter two and verse seven, it says, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. And it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. You are God's masterpiece. You're valued. You're not defined by that mistake that you're thinking about, that, that line that you've crossed. It doesn't define you. Jesus, just like Peter, he wants to restore you to him. You can't be beyond the restoration. And the cool thing about this message is that it's the same application for someone who's been following Jesus for most of their life and to someone who's never had a relationship with him. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, God's inviting you to lean into the restoration that he offers. He's inviting you to believe the truth that he wants to restore you to himself. And then he's inviting you to follow him to take that step, whatever it is, just one. It's nice to look at the end goal, but just that one step next of what does it look like to follow him. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've never restored a car or a house. I've restored some other small appliances, different things like that. But anyone who's done any kind of a restoration could probably attest that restoration isn't easy. And personal restoration might be the hardest kind, right? Because we're forced to come face to face with our mistakes, we're forced to come to the reality of how far away we are from where we need to be or where we want to be. And the cool thing that we have here is that we're never too far gone from where we, from Jesus being able to restore us to where we need to be. We're never out of the reach of his hand, the, the desire that he has to bring us toward himself. And when we begin to believe this, we begin to see it begins to come into clarity what those good things are that he has in store for us. You see, when we're comparing, or when we are believing that these mistakes define us, it's hard for us to see what it is. What good does God have for us? What good does he have for me? What can I do? But as we begin to believe this, as we take the steps to believe this, we end up seeing those things. You see, for Peter, he didn't go get back in the boat and start fishing again after this. He became influential in starting the church. He went from place to place sharing his story of, of what God did in his life, his experiences while he followed Christ. 
I'm sure he shared the mistakes he made. Those are super relatable, at least for this guy right here. He shared the restoration that he experienced, the grace and the patience that Jesus had with him. It was his testimony. He started the church with that because he chose to lean into this restoration, because he chose to follow Jesus with his steps. He stopped comparing. He stopped comparing himself to his neighbors, his coworkers, and his friends, and other people in this room. He put his eyes on Jesus. He said, where do you have me to go? Where do we go from here? And see, because of that restoration that we can experience, we can start taking the steps and building those relationships in our lives. Um, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe a sibling, kids, family member, coworker, whoever it is, we can begin to take those steps to restore those relationships and not be defined by the brokenness that may be there. We could take those necessary hard steps to begin to see victory over addictions because you're not defined by an addict. You're not defined by being someone who's chained to that addiction, but you're defined as a masterpiece, valued and with important and good things to do for the kingdom. You're not defined by someone who's too far gone because you're angry with God right now. Bring your anger, bring your frustration, bring your unknowns to God. Lean in to these truths of scripture that he wants to restore you to him, that he wants you to follow him. And as we lean into that, we can begin to experience a piece of his goodness. We might see that anger start to fade start to be a little less intense. My wife and I, we have three boys, and uh, there's never a dull moment in the smart household. (laughs) There's also very few moments under 90 decibels. Um, So, like, the Apple Watch has given you the warning, like, you've been in this environment for too long, like, 18 more years. (laughs) But one of my sons, uh, he's convinced that he is a bad guy. That is what he wants to be, I think, when he grows up. He goes, I'm a bad guy. And he gets his angriest face on. And he doesn't fully understand everything that it means to be a bad guy. But he is dead set. There's like, I want to be an astronaut. And I want to be a doctor. And I want to be a bad guy. That's my, that's my boy. Um, but his wife, his, <laughs> my wife and I, we spend a lot of time trying to tell him, Aiden, Aiden, you're a good guy. As his dad. I love him. I said, you're a good guy. You can be a good guy. You love so well. You're strong. You're such a big helper. And we spend so much time, no matter how much he's sinned against us, no matter how much he's hurt our feelings, no matter how much he just gets on that final last nerve, like, you're a good guy. You can be a good guy. And, and how much more... As, as, as a failure of a father, how much more is our heavenly father saying, come to me, I have good things in store for you, Say, but I'm a bad guy, I've done this, you don't understand what I've done. He says, I do, you're a good guy, you're my masterpiece, you are valued, please come back to me, please have faith in the restoration that I have to offer and follow me. That's been my prayer for you guys this week as we talk about this. So many of these things, they sound too good to be true. It's hard to believe. But my encouragement for you, my prayer for you is that we lean into the truth that God wants to restore you, that he wants you to follow him, 
and to begin to fulfill the good things that he's planned out for you. God, thank you for your son.